0: Technology isn't always easy. It is, however, becoming a necessity. Here we talk about North Carolina real estate, business, and life. Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com. Justin Kazepis, 844 Studio 4. That's the number if you've got a question for our QA session at the end of the show. Going to have Representative John Hardister. Out of District 59, Guilford County, he is the North Carolina House Majority Whip. Also a primary on North Carolina House Bill 776, an act to allow remote electronic notarization. Technology, technology, COVID, whenever it landed in 2020, everyone had to uh, go to their homes, utilize technology, the infamous Zoom conferences, that still continue to this day and uh, will likely not go away for quite some time, brought on a push. And that push was for um, an increase of technology uses on more professional, applicable, everyday cases, including notarization. As a closing attorney... I recall many a times thinking to myself, and this is me being honest, why must I separate all these pages, have the client sign them, notarize them, after printing them off, scan them back in, mail them, shred everything else that's in between, and go right back to a digital format of documents? Why waste time, the great equalizer for all, if there were a more simplistic, as safe and secure approach to conducting business. There was also something else occurring for those that had a general fear of going out and being with people. If you can't leave your home, but you've got to complete certain things that require the use of a notary, what do you do? And there was an emergency emergency order and legislation put into place that authorized remote notarization, still physically wet signing documents, but utilizing the mail um, and video conferencing to complete that. But now we're moving into a pure electronic realm where the notary is utilizing an electronic stamp on a document completed via a web application of some sort that allows us to not have to be in the same room yet complete the documents in the moment electronically you sign it. It is considered complete, enforceable, fully executed. So that brings us to the day of, is it okay? Is it good? Is it bad? A lot of it has to do with change and what are you okay with? Change is hard. Technology, though, is looked at at becoming more efficient. Many say more cost effective, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I also think about the general application of interstate commerce. And I think about, okay, as a business owner in North Carolina, what is important to me to preserve that business while at the same time promoting healthy competition? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about House Bill 776, the Remote Electronic Notarization Act that's now passed into law. The time frame uh, being basically that something is to be put in place from a solution provider perspective, the technology piece, by mid 2023. And so we're going to talk to Representative John Hardister about that. Looking forward to that conversation. We're gracious for his time. There were other primaries on the bill. To be fair, we did reach out to all of them to give them an opportunity to come on and discuss the bill. Representative Hardister was the one who agreed to come on. Uh, looking forward to that conversation. Again, 844-STUDIO-4, that's the number if you've got questions for that Q&A session coming up at the end of the show. Justin Gazepas, coming right back. I need some real talk. Oh, I- need some real talk give me some of that real talk Today's Real Talk, todaysrealtalk.com, Justin Kazepis, 844-STUDIO-4, that's the number if you've got questions for our Q&A session coming up. Uh, Representative John Hardister joining us now, House Majority Whip in North Carolina, representing District 59, Guilford County. Representative Hardister, thank you for the time. Talking about House Bill 776, a bill that allows remote electronic notarization to occur here in North Carolina. North Carolina one of the things from that bill representative was physical presence of the notary a huge topic internally with professionals and what landed in the bill was that the notary had to be physically present within the state of North Carolina how much time was spent on that particular topic within this bill
1: yeah, well, um, thanks so much for having me on today. Um, looking forward to the, the conversation. Well, that's kind of what the uh, the issue's focused on is whether or not there has to be a physical uh, presence of a, of a notary. Uh, this issue's actually been around for, for a long time, for, for several years, ever since, uh, you know, the internet and streaming technology. Uh, but it, of course, was, um, I think, Propelled in its importance during uh, you know, COVID and the pandemic, and you know how some people didn't feel safe meeting in person, or in some cases they they you know, were not authorized to to meet in person or the at risk population. Uh, so that was kind of the catalyst for uh, this legislation, and several interest groups came together to uh, to promote it. And you know, in particular for example, like the the Realtors Association, real estate agents, and you know, closing attorneys, and things like that. Um, and, and then those that advocate. I think um, the AARP, the advocates for like you know the older population, uh, they were really pushing this legislation. And so, uh, you know, we kind of worked through with um, you know different um, you know stakeholders like the secretary of state's office and the um, the state IT department to see like can we do this safely. You know so that the you know the notary and the principal don't have to be necessarily you know in the exact exact same physical location but they can see in real time and they can hear um so this is you know visual and audio and you know ids can be checked and you know things like that and so um that's where we are we've um we've gotten through all that and you know as you know we have um made this permanent it's kind of like by popular demand uh, there's a lot of uh you know, support for, for doing this, and I think uh, a lot of it's modernizing our um, your procedures. And you know, it's it's the year uh, two thousand twenty-two, and you know, as we move further into the twenty-first century, I think this is um, you know just the way we're communicating on this interview currently. I think this is becoming uh, you know, fairly standard.
0: It's amazing because we can we can pick, you know, many different routes to go on when we think about COVID, right, and, and the different areas and avenues, but a technology push, right, that, that has come into play and the normalization of it, um, Zoom meetings or any type of electronic platform, right, where you're virtually meeting with each other is the norm, right? I I think um, from a business perspective, a whole different conversation on back to office, right? And that kind of conversation and what's gonna take place, I think over the next couple of years. But when we think about notarization, that is affecting uh, professional aspects In the way that people conduct business and can live their lives in North Carolina, you've got banking implications, you've got healthcare implications, obviously legal implications. So focusing on the legal part. um, So my background became a real estate broker in 2012, then became a closing attorney in 2015 with my own practice. Exited that practice at the end of last year, and the notary concept. I'm a fan. I just renewed my electronic uh, notary, by the way. So I'm, I'm kind of in a second round. I feel kind of excited about that. Like, man, I've already done a renewal, right? So that. That's cool. And now that we're finally there, because it's been a conversation for a long time, you're a primary on this bill. What was it that inspired you to really want to spearhead and be a part of the leadership of this bill? You
1: know, that's a great question. And um, yeah, as a state legislator, I feel like, you know, my job and our job collectively is to try to support our citizens and, you know, small businesses, small and large businesses across the state. And there's a lot of commerce that's tied into notarization. Um, so from that standpoint, I wanted to be helpful, uh, but also for some context, uh, my, my day jobs. I work for a mortgage company. I, I do marketing for a small uh, business mortgage company. Uh, we you know, deal with this kind of thing all the time. Obviously, we um, we're a broker. We're not a lender, but you know we originate these loans, and then you know our customers have to go through you know the notarization process. In many cases, you know. Um, and then, you know, the closing attorneys and things like that. So we're you know, highly familiar. I'm I'm very familiar, on a personal basis, with you know the importance of you know access and expediency and things of that nature. So um, you know, and, and I think the the really the holdup, if there was one, if there was any um, you know reservation about this, it was about you know safety and security, and that's why we've written into the legislation that um, notaries have to you know abide by certain guidelines for you know, uh, where they're located and, you know, um, geo-placing and, you know, things like that. And, uh, and also, we've, we also have some limitations on it as well. Like you can't, um, you can't engage in remote notary for like wills and, you know, certain like trust and things of that nature, you know, where the security level could maybe be a little bit more um, important. Some of those cases, I think we eventually might get there. Um, but, you know, this was an important first step for, you know, banking and a lot of other, um, you know, purposes where, you know, a notary is important. Um, and we also have some uh, exemptions there for the military as well. You know, you otherwise have to be present in North Carolina, but we understand, you know, we have uh, a large military presence in North Carolina where you know, a lot of the um, uh, personnel could be, you know, overseas at the time they need to get something notarized.
0: Yeah, and you got to take into account to the military. And I love how continuously North Carolina focuses on our military, on our armed forces, people in armed forces, and, and keeping them in mind as we create these type of bills, which is, which is fantastic, and I, and I appreciate that. Um, you talk about some of the technology things. So, um, obviously, your typical technology requirements, recording, uh, being able to see, being able to hear clearly, right? Those type of things are normal. I don't think that's in any stretch of the imagination. But the other three that really kind of stood out to me within the bill, geolocation, credential analysis and identity proofing wow tall order uh for the sec to charge the secretary of state with finding those those uh, solution providers that can handle the capability I- i'm gonna guess that you guys had some type of round table or some type of internal discussion where you thought it was possible so what's that technology conversation like internally
1: yeah no that's that's exactly it um you know, you, you can get into the weeds on these things pretty quickly when you're going into uh, information technology. And, and you know, I'll be first to say I'm not an expert on that subject, but we all know that cybersecurity is really important. You have things like deep fakes out there, um, you know, internet that can be, you know, kind of concerning, but, uh, you know, in cyber attacks. Uh, it, so, uh, you know, we had conversations with Secretate's, Secretary of State's office and, um, you know, the IT department, and they felt like there's ways to do this. Um, there's there's technology that can be uh, you know uh, used by the, the notaries and and, and and there's also you know other uh, procedures you know like uh, you know using an ID to identify a person and then uh, you know recording the meetings and having a journal and things like that um, and, and the bill even says that if if there's a suspicion of a cyber attack or some form of impropriety then you know at that time the uh the notaries required to you know the ron uh would be required to notify authorities of that um you know but honestly you know i think it it's it's rare but fraud could happen in person too you know in 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 some cases but i i feel confident that with today's technology that we're at a place where we can start to do this you know and and again, the legislation does have some limits on, you know, what's allowable, like you can't do, you know, wills and certain trusts and things like that. But the other thing to point out is it's consumer choice, right? I mean, you know, if, if a person feels pretty confident that they'd rather do this totally in person and not remotely, then you certainly have that option as well.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting component of it. Um, the carve out exceptions for what's not allowed and, and keeping those type of, uh, not that selling houses aren't isn't life altering, right? But when you're talking about dealing with future life decisions like estate matters. Um, so the trust situation also found it unique that somebody caught obviously executing a power of attorney remotely. You then can't have that attorney, in fact, execute remotely on other future documents. I thought that was an interesting point uh, portion to put within the bill Someone obviously went really deep into the weeds on that. That that wanted to stick with that. Not that I'm saying it's good, bad, or and you know I'm indifferent on that portion. But interesting that that those levels of conversations of practicality were occurring. This is a very practical bill, which which I appreciate again. Um, And there were other primaries on on the bill. I want to you know give at least them them the acknowledgement. I did reach out and ask them if they wanted to come on, and and you were the one willing to. So I appreciate your time. Um, So from the technology piece though, and charging the secretary of state with kind of putting. This together over the the course of you know what's remaining of the original twelve month timeline the the concept of cost right because a lot of people talk about cost and um, will it actually save the consumer money so in, in looking physically in the bill and, and what's written so the five thousand dollar annual fee for the provide the solution provider makes sense right licensing fee absolutely got a fun- we have to fund this somehow right and and then so the other piece of it I wonder about the five dollar fee per notorial act and so i'm wondering if there's a discussion at all because i didn't see it in the bill and i may have missed it right i i, I tend to proofread sometimes or skim if you would right i go back to my collegiate days of that um and, and so five dollars per notorial act you're familiar with lender packages so if i've got 15 notary acknowledgements within a lender package a single package Am I looking at five dollars per notary, or am I looking at five dollars of the macro of this is a singular notarial act of a lender package? Because we both know at the end of the day that the cost is going to get passed on to the to the person utilizing the software. So if this is going to be driven by lenders, that's going to be an extreme cost per act, right? uh, Of of expense, and that's going to get passed on the consumer. I'm just wondering if there's any thoughts on that as well from that cost perspective of per notorial act, I guess. that That's one of the things that sticks out to me. Yeah, I'm glad you you asked that question
1: because that, that's something that we do need to clarify. Uh, the, the bill uh, paraphrasing, I think it essentially says that, in fact, I think that fees raise from 5 to $10 and it says per principal signature, um, you know, paraphrasing. So uh, that is something that I think we will need to to certainly clarify that could be kind of vague in how, um, the legislation is written and that actually brings up an even more important point, which is anytime you're legislating something, you always have to try to perfect it, you know, and you kind of learn over time. And you just kind of alluded to this moment ago, but the, Secret- the secretary of state's office is going to be working through, you know, the technology platform and in tandem with IT and, you know, how all that can be done the most effective and efficient you know, and safest way possible. And so we'll continue our conversations with those agencies and make sure we're doing this the best way we possibly can. And uh, we're also going to look at other states too and see, you know, how they're doing this and, you know, what's working, what's not working. But as far as those fees, I actually have the same question because it could be almost up for interpretation. So that's something we might have to clarify
0: yeah no and that and that's a i appreciate you guys being willing to go back and look at, and i know you had all hands on deck don't get me wrong i know you had the title companies in there i know you had you had the lenders in there you had realtors you had secretary of state and everybody wants it right like there's some people that don't and there'll always be people look change is hard let's be honest change is very hard if i'm thinking about it at a competition level as a business owner and i have to revamp my systems after doing business for multiple decades that's not an easy conversation to have realistically though from where the citizens are in the state of north carolina and the use of technology to make things more efficient and more secure because as you've mentioned as well you can forge a paper handwritten document probably more than you could electronically if the right solution providers and safeguards are in place um, which is very interesting so um i i'm I, Thinking, though, about now where we're at and the notarial certificate and the particular uses on the day-to-day, one of the things I ran into, because I utilized the emergency legislation um, when COVID first occurred and allowing online um, or, or remote notarization, it wasn't electronic, but it was remote, right, via, via video conferencing like this. Someone would sign, they'd mail the document back to me, and I would then stamp it. I had to alter the notary acknowledgment. And some lenders, when going for funding approval to get the deal closed, fought me on that. And so I'm wondering, practically speaking, would a standardized notarial certificate to be used solely during electronic notarization be a potential solution? I think about California. Um, They get bashed for a lot of things they do. But one thing I I do appreciate that they've done is they've created a standardized notarial certificate.
1: Yeah, I think the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great idea. Okay. And that's well, the kind that of feedback we need. You know? <laughs> for, yeah, for people like you and others that are actively engaged in the process, it's excellent feedback.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those things like, because cause we want to work together, right? I think for a long time, there's become this blame game in real estate. And I'm and you, you're probably familiar with it. Not that you're someone who blames or I'm somebody who blames from my perspective, but there are people that do the blame game in real estate. Well, why isn't the deal closing today? Well, you know, we're not ready yet. Lender doesn't have this. Oh, attorney didn't get us tighter. Blah, 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 blah. When we're really supposed to be working together for the client, so this is just one of those opportunities of a reset. I think of that as, as this bill, as as in general, one of the things um, I, I'm interested in, what I want to do is help bridge that gap. And let's let's take a moment to say, okay, everyone's supposed to be working together and in, in unison. Can electronic notarization and really the streamlining of closing and mortgage packages bring all of the groups together for a singular focus of making the best possible transaction for the customer? That's the perspective I come at with it.
1: Yeah, and I think that is the the right perspective. That's exactly how I see it as well. And that's how we got to where we are. You know, today the fact that we even you know have this bill enacted, you know, by the general assembly and signed by the governor, I mean, a complete bipartisan process with support on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, we've got a lot of feedback from those who work in you know various industries who benefit from this, and clients as well, and different interest groups have you know got behind this. But you know, you're when you're making law, it's it's kind of a continuous process of trying to perfect it. You know, you're know, you going to come across something that, oh, wait a minute, I should have thought about that, or we could do that different. And uh, the fact that we're having this conversation, I think, is encouraging. And um, like I said, we're going to stay in touch with the uh, Secretary of State and the you know, State IT Department and, you know, as we work through this to find out kind of what, is it, what does a platform look like you know, as we go into, into next year.
0: Yeah. User experience, right? A lot of it's going to be user experience for the consumers, and if you're going to have multiple platforms with different lenders, all getting to choose which one's going to be used, it's exciting, right? It's not—it's not light work. I mean, let's be honest. This is this is a as lean as this bill is, and I, and I've got it right here. What do we look at? We looked at 14 pages, Representative Artister. 14 pages—that's got to be one of the leanest bills there there are right now at the state level. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it's a lot of work to do on it. So um, anything we can do, do to, to help and encourage and push forward is fantastic. I want to pivot, if we could, to some of the other industries because um, real estate, obviously, I'm biased, right? Today's Real Talk, I'm biased on real estate. It is what it is. But there are a lot of other implications, and, and one of them in particular is healthcare. Where where were where was the conversation at with healthcare? Was it 100 percent support or what were the kind of the, the hesitations on healthcare as it relates to electronic notarization?
1: Yeah, I mean that one can get tricky because you, you could deal with HIPAA laws on that. Um, you, you could get into you know some people towards the end of life or making changes to their wills and that kind of thing or trust. That's where it can get a little bit tricky. But you know, I'm I'm a proponent of technology and. Uh, you're providing consumer choice and convenience but only if it's you know safe and secure uh so that one's a subject we're gonna have to continue to work on i don't know exactly you know which direction we're going or how quickly uh you just have to be a little bit careful there obviously i mean for all these you know any anything requires a notary but like you said i mean uh, buying a house for example is a really big deal but when you're dealing with you know a will that can get super complex and, you know, life altering even more than, you know, arguably than purchasing a house in many cases. But, you know, healthcare is one where honestly, like, we're gonna have to engage those stakeholders a little bit more, like the hospital association, and, um, you know, kind of find out, you know, where they are on it. And there's different interest groups are engaged in that as well. So, uh, you know, I think we're kind of moving towards that direction, but definitely have to be very cautious about it.
0: The other one is banking, and generally speaking, right? Because um, a lot of people not being able to leave their home uh, in in the height of COVID, but needing to access their financials and and utilizing an electronic remote notarization is the solution, right? At least I I can't think of a better one, right? If you've got to have a document notarized. Um, Coupling it with the Federal Secure Act that has now become law as well, it, was that part of the conversation? Like, Hey, fed is about to do secure act. Let's be a, a, let's at least try to get something in the works here. Where where was that in the conversation? If at all, we did yeah, talk about that. Yeah. That, that did came up. You always look at what
1: the the feds are doing. I don't think we got too far down that road, but I mean, we did, we did certainly did talk about it.
0: Yeah. And then, so from it, it, thinking of another internal North Carolina agency that, um, I have dealt with also in real estate, um, the Department of Transportation. And if I think about manufactured home titles um, and how that relates to real estate, both, and it could be considered personal property and real property, right? Different conversation there. But utilizing it in a transaction for real estate, if I have an electronically signed title to a manufactured home, Am I going to get laughed out of the building or what do you think the reaction is going to be come uh, July 1st, 2023? I certainly hope not. I don't think you'll get you'll get laughed out. Um, yeah, and if you do, let me know.
1: No. <laughs> Definitely will want to know about that. Yeah.
0: No. And ITs. you know, the, the DOT works very hard. A lot of people bash on them. They don't have an easy job. I don't envy that job. It's a lot to keep up with, but is there coordination with, with the D with, um, DOT on this and, or the DMV, excuse me, not the D, DOT and DMV, DOT is a different conversation, but yeah, but DMV.
1: Yeah. They were, they were engaged in a problem. There were so many stakeholders involved in this. I mean, so many state agencies and, you know, uh, interest groups and so forth involved, um, yeah, I, I ser- we certainly did hear from them during the, the process and we'll have to re engage them, you know, moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's exciting. And and keeping the conversation going, right? Because technology is ever-changing. So you talk about a bill that will likely be ever-changing, right? And almost, I mean, I, I won't say every session. You guys got a lot to do every session. But I would imagine there will be some type of topic that could could in some way, shape, or form change this legislation almost every session. Yeah, and that's that's a good point because and, and I, that's uh, what I was
1: about to say is that technology changes literally every day. Like, it's always advancing. And so the government has to be kind of you know um reactive a little bit proactive as technology continues to evolve i mean now uh, you can actually update your driver's license online you know through the d m v um you still periodically have to you know have an exam or you know um you know go in the d m v for an exam you know, every several years but as long as you have a good driving record, you can you know go online and have that done there's so a lot of things you can do online um, but you know, as far as, as technology, it, it's literally, you know, look at where we are now compared to 20 years ago. It's incredible. Um, but the government's got to be very nimble about that, and, you know, and uh, kind of the private sector drives the innovation there. And the government has to you know constantly kind of watch and adapt and, you know, be ready to, you know, uh, embrace these technologies you know, as they become available.
0: Well, and, and, I, and I appreciate the humble plug there. And I'll, I'll tell you, thank you for the online uh, DMV renewal there. I, uh, I, I utilize that every year. So that that's my go-to because I, uh, again, not having to go in somewhere or even mail in a check. Right. Like something as simple as people. It's funny when we have the conversation about wiring. Right. Because wire fraud is huge in real estate. It's a big, big thing. Um, the the real the the bars ethics um, committee and, and grievance committee is, is really starting to look at when people complain about wire fraud. And so i i try to tell people when you mail us an earnest money deposit check do you realize your bank account the routing number your address your name uh one person i talked to who has been in the game a long time was telling me they used to have social security numbers on checks right you everything on a check your entire personal life on a single check if that gets lost in the mail or somehow intercepted fraudulently there's a shopping spree to walmart right there right like that that's everything that that you you need on a single document and it's it's
1: all there you know and 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 you can even go into, like, online banking, pretty much everybody, you know, has an account where they can get online and check their, you know, their bills and their investments and everything like that. So, I mean, cybersecurity, from that standpoint, is also very critical. I should mention that the state's investing in cybersecurity. Uh, We have actually invested in several of our universities to kind of examine, you know, research and development in cybersecurity, find out, like, what can we do to... You know, advance it. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So, um, when the there's a pipeline, um, uh, an oil pipeline, that got shut down. What was that last year? And um, I forget which pipeline it was. I'm drawing a blank on it. But when it did, there was uh, you know, a shortage of fuel um, throughout most North Carolina, and it really disrupted things. But it was a cyber attack that caused it to happen. So, uh, you know, that's something where we have to continue to really focus on developing you know technologies for safety because it's not just you know getting things notarized uh you know virtually it's also like our bank accounts our financial system you know our power system you know everything falls in that category
0: Representative Hardister, I live near a nuclear power plant here in North Carolina, so if you think I haven't thought about technology and what uh, the potentials are and our law firm before, I I was very uh, diligent on hiring outside professionals to handle the Internet security and and cybersecurity aspects because when you're dealing with personal identifiable information – that's not a game. That's not something that you can just toy with. Like if you're going to do business like this and you're going to touch people's personal information, you've got to have some level of responsibility. You just have to. Um, I'm getting more and more letters these days of, oh, we've been compromised and your data is out there. Here's what we believe was leaked so what am I supposed to do right like what what do you do as a consumer you get that kind of letter it's like okay lifelock like that's really what we're talking about our information's out there you just got to monitor at this point like right like that's and that's a hard conversation we won't even get into cryptocurrency and nfts and everything else that can really change the world I'm sure there's a uh, some, some other crazies on the floor talking about that like me but we, we can do that for another day uh while for, for the little bit of time we got left I want to pivot because um uh, you're big on education and you're big on infrastructure talk to me about education my wife's kindergarten teacher was with uh, at a title one school for five years and then moved over to a charter school night and day difference. I don't want to get into just charter school versus public school, but education in general, um, hit me with the elevator pitch. Where do you stand? What do you want to see? Um, what's your goal? What's your dream for, for North Carolina?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you to, uh, your wife for her services and educator, uh, education is over half the state budget it's critical for obvious reasons uh you know one being workforce development you know if if you want to grow the economy create upward mobility you have to have an educated workforce and uh you know there's a constitutional obligation there as well uh we are bound by the constitution to you know create a a robust uh you know education system and uh, i think we've done that uh, effectively north carolina there's always room for improvement but if you look at the fact that North Carolina's rated the number one state for business by CNBC and by Forbes and by site selection. Uh, they did that in part because we, we have, you know, an education system that's working and, uh, and we have a workforce that's ready, that's talented. So we have you know, a sound K-12 education system. And then the higher ed system is, is functioning very well. We have uh, multiple, I believe 56 community college locations across the state. You know that, that function as trade schools, and these are jobs, you know, as we all know, that are extremely critical, like like plumbing, electrical, um, welding, uh, CDL truck drivers, things like that. And our university systems functioning very well, focusing on you know academics that will result in you know a career. Uh, we haven't raised tuition in in six years, so we've kept it you know, affordable. And so you, you combine all those things together and North Carolina is doing very well as far as um, you know, education is is concerned. And then, um, you know, you, you asked about infrastructure. That's one, uh, of course, that these companies, you know, for example, Toyota, that is um, yeah, investing, I believe, five plus billion dollars in a facility uh, right outside of Guilford County, the county that I represent. And you have other companies coming into to North Carolina, like Apple and uh, Venfast, uh, you know, EV manufacturer in Chatham County, and um, Supersonic, an aviation company at PTI in Guilford County, and yeah, all these, I could give more examples, but the point is, as that's happening, we're looking at, uh, you know, what's the recipe for that? And, you know, there, these companies will tell you, yeah, we want low cost of living, we want public safety, uh, you know, we want uh, competitive tax rates, but they talk a lot about workforce development, that's education. And then they're going to talk about um, your infrastructure, your, your roads, your bridges, your ports, your airports, and things like that. So we've invested heavily in uh, in infrastructure. One of the challenges there that'll leave you with to think about is as um, you know, there's more electric vehicles on the road, and you know, cars, vehicles every day are becoming more fuel efficient. It's going to draw back on our revenue because when when we fund our infrastructure. It's almost exclusively by the, the 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 fuel tax. When you put you know, gas or diesel in your vehicle, that tax you pay, it, it's remitted specifically to the Highway Trust Fund, and that's that's for construction for roads and bridges and repair and things like that. And so, as you know, the, that revenue declines due to you know I, I, the example I give is this. So I drive a Ford Explorer. It's decent on gas. It's not great. And I drive all the time, so I don't mind paying into that. Um, Now, conversely, my mom, who's retired now, doesn't drive as much as I do. She's not paying as much into it, nor should she. However, if I were to get an electric vehicle, I would not pay really anything into it. And so, but I'm still using the roads, you know, wear and tear. So that's something where we have to look at. Are we going to, you know, maybe implement a mileage tax, you know, or or something like that to modernize it so we can get that revenue? Because the revenue that pays for infrastructure primarily does not come from the general fund. When you pay your you know, your state sales tax, your state income taxes, it comes from the user fee, from the fuel tax. That's where most of it comes from. So that's something we have to think about.
0: I don't envy you, sir. You uh, you you're a public servant, and uh, on this uh, as your primary gig, and then you 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 handle mortgages on the side. Man, you 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 are a bold bold man, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate. It. I grew up in North Carolina. It's all I remember. It's all I know. I'm not planning on leaving until they kick me out. And uh, I'm so excited for the future of North Carolina. We are at an absolutely pivotal point of trajectory right now. That we if we make the right decisions and lay a good foundation right now, we're seeing Set for multiple generations going forward, and I'm very excited about that. Big supporter of education, Let, let's, let's put as much money as it takes into education the right way, and then infrastructure, we've got to put it in place. I would love a commuter rail from Charlotte to Greensboro just so we can hang out and play golf on the weekend, Representative Hardister. I'd love that. And what's
1: interesting is if you look at today's generation, you know, when you and I were young, everybody wanted a car, but now, you know, a lot of the, the up and coming, you know, let's say high school students, that are you know, getting to where they could drive. A lot of them reaching age 16, 17, 18, they're not super many are not super motivated to actually have a vehicle. Uh, so, again, I mean, I think you're, you're hitting on something there to have some sort of rail connection between the major cities that way people. You know you could live for instance like in guilford county and then work in raleigh and on a rail and we do have you know rail currently but to you know maybe enhance that uh where you can just get on you could uh, get on the internet you know and actually work while you're in route and so yeah i mean the the sky's the limit for that and um yeah we're gonna have self-driving vehicles for too long and like you said i'm excited about our future i think uh, north carolina particular is doing well uh, both parties are working together for economic development you know we're supporting you know education and you know other uh, critical elements of um you know services of state government so um i'm, I'm excited
0: yeah, it's it's nice when everyone's working together for the common good of the citizens of the state, and that's what it should be about. Representative John Hardister, House Majority Whip. So if you got to get a vote out there, this is the guy to get it done. District 59, Guilford County. Uh, appreciate your time, sir. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, anything you want to plug and any website, anything like that, you're welcome to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much. Uh, website's easiest, johnhardister.com. Uh, you can drop me an email, johnhardister at gmail.com. And Feel free to reach out anytime and thanks for having me on today.
0: Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Today's Real Talk, today'srealtalk.com. Justin Kazeppa is back with you. Thanks again to Representative Hardister for coming on. We really appreciate his time. Um, he is the North Carolina House Majority Whip representing District 59, Guilford County. Um, also, Chair of Education, House Education Universities. Uh, so, uh, doing some work for the people of North Carolina. And we appreciate his time. QA session 844 Studio 4. I've got the questions for the day here what are the most important factors when refinancing bill from greensboro wants to know what are the most important factors when refinancing so refinancing is you've already purchased a property and now what you are doing is you are reconstructing the debt on that particular property It could be on a group of properties. It could be a singular property. It could be uh, um, just land or house or condo or um, any type of uh, of real property that you already own and you are restructuring the debt related with that property. Or you may have no debt and you're just now getting debt on the property and taking some cash. So the number one factor is why why are you refinancing a property that you already own? Is it that you want to lower your monthly payment? Is it that you want cash? Um, or a couple other minor reasons, but but I would start with that. And those would be the most two common, right? Like I want to restructure the payment amount uh, or I want cash or a combination um, because some people um, could restructure their payment and get cash out, right. Be either making the same amount or a little bit less and pull cash out, right. A cash out refinance, uh, was very common, uh, 2020, 2021, when rates were, uh, sub 3%, um, on a 30 year, 20 year, 15 year, got down to, you know, low twos at that point. So, um, I would say what's your motivation, right? Becomes the most important factor. The second becomes what is your monthly payment? Because you've got a financially plan for in a worst case scenario, do you have enough funds to pay your bills, your 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 mortgage on your property? Because if you don't, the bank can take the house or the property in general. So something you got to consider is what then that amount is will be after you refinance and are you comfortable with that thinking through what the potential worst case scenario is losing a job something with your health uh, something with your family life-changing situation because then you've got the principal amount of the loan on the property too and this this relates also to the investing investing conversation we've had a couple of times over leveraging a property So when we talk about uh, loan-to-value ratio, let's say uh, the lender determines based on an appraisal that your home is worth $100,000 and they're willing to lend you 90% of that value, that would be $90,000 debt on a property that as of today, because appraisals are a snapshot of that exact point in time, $100,000. So the analysis then turns to, okay, how long are you planning on owning this property? Is it your quote unquote forever home? A forever property that you're going to retire at sometime in the future? Is it an investment property that you're planning to portfolio and leave behind for your estate? Or is it a short term? Is it within a year, two years, three years, five years? that you're planning to make a change and don't know if you'll be here or don't think you'll still be in that same property. Because the question then becomes, what's the market going to do in the future? Because if values go down and you've got $90,000 worth of debt on a property that the market says in some time in the future is only worth $75,000, that is the definition of being underwater. And that is what you do not want to be at any point in time. So what's your personal motivation? What then is your monthly payment? And what is your projected time frame of ownership relative to market value? Those would be the main three things. But great question, Bill. A lot of personal uh, decision-making going on in in that conversation. So, uh, Robert in Dallas, North Carolina, not Dallas, Texas. Yes, there's a Dallas, North Carolina. Do I live on a public or private street? Ooh. So, as part of a title search... Uh, The closing attorney, whenever you buy a property in North Carolina, we utilize closing attorneys here. Uh, North Carolina has deemed that uh, the certification of title is the practice of law and that many other aspects of the closing process are considered the practice of law. Thus, we use closing attorneys here in North Carolina. They will be able to analyze for you whether or not your property is on a a butts or is adjacent to a public or private right-of-way. Now, The system isn't perfect because sometimes there's no indication even by a title search. And I'm speaking from practical and real experience here as a closing attorney from my practice. That uh, is a complicated question depending on how old the property is, meaning when was the land, the existing formation of the land um, of boundary lines put together. If it was at a time uh, when it was platted, Um, After a certain point, it became a requirement um, for there to be an acknowledgement whether or not the property is adjacent to a public or private right-of-way. That wasn't always the case. So not necessarily a plat. Uh, That's a good indication. That should be a good help. Um, Also, if you are within a subdivision, right, you can speak with your HOA because they should know as a governance um, entity whether or not the roads are publicly or privately maintained. Because if they are privately maintained, you would hope there would be a line item within the budget For those roads to continue to be maintained, you can reach out to the DOT. The DOT has um, implemented a new system. We'll include the resource link for it. Um, I'm not gonna say whether or not the system is 100% accurate or not. I haven't gone through it um, completely, but that was part of legislation a few years ago to create a system acknowledging whether or not roads were indeed public or privately maintained. Um, and it's a system worth checking out to see and see compare if you know the answer compare and see if your road is accurate and provide feedback help help uh, contribute accurate data to the system so I I would say you can call on a local attorney to do a title search if you want Um, probably going to cost you some money to do that secondarily um, if you're in an HOA speak with your HOA call the DOT you can call your local municipality and ask them um, see if they have any record. Because as new roads are being developed, right, continuously, there is a dedication process. And so depending on the age of the road, there may be a record uh, at the municipality level as well. So a couple of different avenues you can take to check that up. A great question. Thank you, Robert and Dallas, for sending that one in. And Janine in Wilkesboro, at what point do interest rates come back down? Janine in Wilkesboro wants me to t- look into the crystal ball and tell everyone at what point do rates come back down. Well, we've talked uh, before about the role of the Federal Reserve in managing and making sure that the supply of of money um, and that the system is in balance and that the proper... Economic indicators are in line, as they should be. Uh, subjectively, there is quite a wide range in theories on, on what that particularly means. But again, one of the tools the Fed can use to correct, and in this particular instance, correct um, inflation, are increase and decrease interest rates. Secondarily to that, that affects mortgage rates, not necessarily a one-to-one ratio on that, but it does affect mortgage rates. Cost of borrowing goes up for the supplier of money locally, meaning the banks. The cost of borrowing money as a consumer goes up. And so when will rates come back down? The talk right now from professionals and by professional economists and those who study trends and historical averages and analyze data at a deeper, much, much deeper level than I ever could do or comprehend. Mid-2023 is part of that conversation right now. That could change tomorrow for all I know. But as of right now, mid-2023 is 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 a heavy part of that conversation. That That's the projection of Based on historical data, when the rate rising cycle began comparatively to past rate rising cycles, the time frame upon which it will likely go the other direction. And I, I think that the rise and fall of rates will ultimately have to do with a more simplistic indicator that I tend to focus on, and that is wages and spending. If people make money, then they turn around and spend it. What they spend becomes the wages for somebody else, and that's the circular cycle. If you make money, you spend it. When you spend it, it becomes money earned wages for somebody else. And so if people stop spending money... Okay, well, there is then an increase of supply and the demand is going down. So the cost naturally comes down. In most instances, there are exceptions and outliers to that. And so if the pendulum swings back the other direction of, well, people have stopped spending so much money, we've got such a surplus of goods here, or services or businesses are hurting so much because people aren't spending their money. That is when the grip will loosen, and they will have to reverse the equation. They, the Federal Reserve, will have to reverse the pendulum and pump the economy back up by reducing the cost to borrow money, thus allowing people to feel comfortable, confident, consumer confidence to spend more dollars. So at what point will that happen is anybody's guess. I'll be honest with you right now. My bigger concern is how are people affording to live on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis right now? Are you paying attention to how much your grocery bill is going up each week when you go to the grocery? Or maybe you, you go to one of these super mega stores and you and you uh, bulk, buy in bulk, and uh, you shop on a monthly basis. But ha- have you noticed how much the bill is going up Uh You know, if you've got children, um, if you're single, uh, it's not easy. It's and and so where's the relief going to come? There first for people, um, I think is when we see the indication that will affect interest rates on a loan level um, down the road with mortgages. So that's what I'm paying attention to: wages and spending. Are people spending money? And what on a practical basis every day, so groceries being number one, number two being energy costs, those are the two biggest indicators for me as it relates to inflation and at what point is it stabilizing and hopefully in reality going back down, um, going to occur. I don't know whether it will or not. That's a different conversation. So, Justin is Today's Real Talk, Talk.com, 844-STUDIO-4. Thanks again to Representative Hardister, uh, District 59, Guilford County, House Majority Whip, talking to us today about House Bill 776, the recent legislation here in North Carolina allowing for remote electronic notarization. Info at todaysrealtalk.com. You can shoot us a line there, and we look forward to next time.